Welcome to Reframe the Game. My name is Kent Games. I'm an athletic trainer, educator, and lover of breakthroughs. In this perspective shifting podcast, we bring you the mindset, the motivation, and the methods to help you develop as a conscious healthcare provider. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's dive in. MedBridge provides evidence based courses, unlimited CEUs, a home exercise program featuring over 6,000 exercises, and much more. Use promo code THEADVANTAGE, that is T-H-E-A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E, to get an annual MedBridge subscription for as low as $200. Welcome back to Reframe the Game. In the ebb and flow of hot topics and points of conversation in the profession of athletic training, there's one thing that is never really at the top of the conversation, but it always seems to be present in at least part of the conversation. It's always in our professional conversations, whether they are informally in person, whether they are formally at formal events and national conferences, or if they're on social media or even in the athletic training facility. And that's the conversation around professionalism. So for today's episode, I thought we could examine and really dive in to this concept of professionalism, but from the perspective of a conscious healthcare provider and a conscious athletic trainer. Let's just start off with the definitions of both professionalism and conscious and see if we can put these two things together in order to kind of set our framework for what professionalism is to a conscious athletic trainer and to a conscious healthcare provider and how we can leverage the new perspective and the new framework for that in order to influence our practice in a positive way. So the definition of professionalism is the conduct, aims, and qualities that characterize or mark a profession or professional person. What I really like about this definition is that it highlights the three important components of professionalism, the conduct, the aims, and the qualities. And then when we look at the definition of conscious, Conscious is being aware of and responding to one's own internal and external environment. So the ability to become aware and also respond. So it's about intake and then action of both our internal environment, so our our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs and also our own behaviors, and then also our external environment about what happens in the world around us and how we are able to perceive those things, internalize them, and then respond to them in an appropriate way. Before we go further, how about we talk about some of the typical examples of professionalism that we use in athletic training? Um, I'm thinking of things like appropriate dress, timeliness, respect, professional email communication, using or not using your cell phone while you're in the athletic training facility or you're at practice or you're seeing patients or you're waiting on a patient to come in. While all of these behaviors that I just mentioned are part of professionalism, none of these are actually professionalism. 
They're only one dimension. So if we go back to the definition of professionalism, and I mentioned the three components, the conduct, aim, and quality, we can really see that professionalism occurs on three different dimensions, conduct, aims, and qualities, not simply on the conduct. In my observations, and I believe that oftentimes in athletic training, what we do is measure the professional based on the behavior or the conduct of professionalism without having an active conversation or opening to learn with curiosity about the aim or the quality of that conduct which was occurring. So to put this in another way, outside of conduct, aims, and qualities, professionalism is the what, the why, and the how to be a professional. So we can equate what, why, and how. So what is equal to conduct, why is equal to aims, and how is equal to qualities. So we have these three dimensions, and oftentimes we're observing behavior, and that's what we're using to judge ourselves and also to judge or to evaluate other athletic trainers in determining whether or not they are a professional. I think oftentimes we also use that framework based on the behaviors alone on what marks the profession of athletic training. And while that's all well and good, it's limited. It's only 33% of the picture. And I believe it's really limiting our ability to be solution-focused, to be problem-solvers, to understand why we do what we do as athletic trainers from a point of curiosity, from a point without judgment, and really also look for opportunities, particularly with the qualities of how we can improve our behavior, whether it be in professionalism or some other component of our practice or our careers, our professional lives and our personal lives. We're looking so much and we're focused so much on the outcome that we're missing the process. When we talk about many things in athletic training, but for today's conversation, I want to focus on this idea of professionalism. Now, if we take what we've what we just discussed in terms of the definition and meaning of professionalism in these three dimensions, and we combine it with the definition of consciousness, or conscious with the ability to be aware and respond into our internal and external environments, we can see that a conscious athletic trainer sees professionalism as both a mindset and a skill set. So it's not just what you do. It's not something that you can just be taught, like where khakis and a polo. We can have a conversation about khakis and a polo another day. Or, you know, don't answer your cell phone when you're in the clinic or make sure you're 20 minutes early or make sure you sign your name at the end of an email. We can see that it's more than the behavior. It's more than the skill set. So yes, we can teach someone to do those things. But if we don't address the mindset of why, and we don't address how we can improve or how we can modify that professional behavior, how professional behavior happens on a continuum, again, we're missing 66% of what it means to be a professional. I believe that we consistently focus on what a professional does, not why and how one becomes a professional through professionalism. 
And when we think about this, um, or when I think about this from a larger perspective and really zoom out into the profession of athletic training, I look at some of the research and, and some of the conversations around our employers, athletic training employers, whether the employers are athletic trainers, they're their school districts, there's universities, or their you know physicians, right? Regardless of who the employer is, employers often cite a lack of professionalism in athletic trainers as one of the things that's lacking or that's missing in athletic trainers, specifically in newly credentialed and early career athletic trainers. Even though in the educational standards professionalism is measured, at least the behaviors of professionalism are measured extensively throughout an athletic training curriculum, you know, whether that be from preceptor evaluation or that's from evaluations in from faculty members or peers, there are multiple checkpoints through one's professional education where we're measuring professionalism. At least we're measuring the behaviors associated with professionalism. And when we can frame this conversation around professionalism in, as, as a three-dimensional conversation as opposed to a one-dimensional conversation, we've now increased the conversation and we have opportunities to influence one's own professional development on these three dimensions, not just on the one dimension of behavior. I feel like if we're able to do this, we can grow and develop the profession of athletic training because it would allow us to not only develop our skill set of professional behaviors, but also the mindset of professional thinking and the mindset of professional feeling. As athletic training, we're in this place where we are kind of split. I don't know if, if we collectively are split, but I feel like there is, I believe there is sometimes conflict between where we've been and where we want to go. And we're struggling with that transition of shedding our past and stepping into our future while also looking back fondly and respecting our past, but not being anchored by our past. I've often used this example when I talk about this struggle. Oftentimes when we talk about the legacy of athletic training, we use a tree analogy and like we're anchored by our roots and our roots in athletic training are in physical education and our roots in athletic training are working in the quote-unquote traditional setting. So secondary schools, college and universities, and professional sports working with athletes, student-athletes or professional athletes or amateur athletes in the purest sense. And as we've grown as a profession, we've branched out, and we have all of these branches and these leaves and all these other practice settings and opportunities for athletic trainers to practice. And while that creates a pretty picture – and while that analogy connects directly the past of athletic training and the origins of athletic training with the present and potentially the future, it creates an image in which we are unequivocally anchored by our past. Again, while that makes us, that feels good and that does absolutely respect the past, I would challenge us to reframe this analogy. Again, even mental formations influence how we behave. 
And I think the mental formation of using language like roots or anchor create a problem for how we move forward and really keep us in this unidimensional thinking as a profession. Because, you know, roots of a tree absolutely anchor the tree and it protects it from a storm and it protects it from getting uprooted. But if we just shift that entire analogy and we move away from a tree, let's say the early athletic trainers and our legacy of athletic training actually was the foundation. So it was a foundation of a launch pad. And those early athletic trainers who sacrificed so much, who who really built the profession in college universities and in professional sports and in secondary schools, they built the reputation of what an athletic trainer could be and how an athletic trainer could add value to an organization. And they were doing this. And as they were doing this, they built the foundation, not the roots of the profession. They built the foundation of that. And then as we've grown and as we've developed every practice setting, every athletic trainer who has practice and has helped themselves grow as individuals, and as we've gone through every significant evolution in terms of a transition from the internship model to the curricular model, and now from an education perspective, the curricular model from the bachelor's degree to the master's degree, and from a practice model of working in the quote-unquote traditional settings to moving to different settings, you know, industrial, occupational, military, public safety, physician practice, performing arts, the list can go on and on. And even moving into some of the work is like the gig athletic trainer, that athletic trainer who doesn't work for anyone but has a steady income by being a traveling athletic trainer, essentially. And every single time we make one of these transitions or we add value and we expand the practice, it's not like branches growing on a tree. Rather, they're components to a spaceship or a rocket that we're all adding and we're preparing for the next significant evolution. The founders, the legacy athletic trainers, those athletic trainers which we look forward to and the giants in athletic training that built the profession that we know today and are the shoulders that we stand on. And they're the foundation that we are preparing for our next significant evolution by blasting off and leaving our launch pad behind to move on to what's next in athletic training. And I think what better way to honor the legacy of those athletic trainers who are early adopters of athletic training those athletic trainers who, again, sacrificed so much and built a profession, what better way to honor them than by using what they've given us, a solid foundation to travel to our future. And when we move from unidimensional thinking that we are anchored to our past to three-dimensional thinking and a perspective shift, we create that opportunity for ourselves. And the tension which exists from my perspective is trying to navigate the challenge of honoring the past with moving into the future. But healthcare is moving rapidly, and the train of healthcare moving into the future has already started to roll. And if we're unable to uproot our mindset and we're able to uproot our legacy perspectives on what it means to be a healthcare provider, what it means to be an athletic trainer, then we're going 
to miss the train or we're going to fail to ignite the rocket that moves us in to the next portion of our profession's evolution. If we look at that and we start to realize that maybe we might be a little bit behind, and that's okay if we're a little bit behind, but we have to start taking action. And I believe that one of the ways we can start taking action is to become a conscious healthcare provider. And that's becoming aware and responding to the one's internal and external environments. And one way we can do this specifically is with professionalism and how we view professionalism and us moving from this unidimensional conversation of professionalism where we only care about the behaviors to moving it to three-dimensional and really embracing this idea that it is a mindset and a skill set. We have mastered the skill set of being a professional. That's absolutely fantastic. And we have to look at the other side of the coin. We have to look at the mindset and the why and the quality of what we're doing as a professional every single day. I think one of the hidden traps that exists from only examining the skill set associated with being a professional is that our development as a profession and our development as professionals has been left up to chance. And we have been unconsciously devaluing professionalism and what it means to be an athletic trainer, what it means to be a professional, even though we say it's important. And I believe this is because we haven't been intentional with the development of professionalism. We've left the development of professionalism to chance. Whether that is we're just going to say athletic training students or early career athletic trainers can learn about professionalism by watching other people who are quote unquote professionals, people who are certified and licensed athletic trainers, we'll just have them observe their behaviors. And there's certainly value to that because when we observe other people's behaviors, we can see what the actual performance of the behaviors looks like. And sometimes those are good. Sometimes those are bad. We can learn from our mentors. We can learn from our preceptors. We can learn from other athletic trainers all around us. And we can identify for ourselves, was that good or bad, positive or negative, as it relates to, to us and where we see ourselves as professionals. The challenge in that is it uses the root and the tree algorithm and the root and the tree and the branch analogy for the transmission of what it means to be a professional. So professionals today are being directly influenced and perhaps restrained by what was happening 50 or 60 years ago in the profession of athletic training. And no one would argue that we live in the same world today as we did 50, 60, 70 years ago. The world has changed. Healthcare has changed. Technology has changed. Our education has changed. Almost everything around the profession has changed, yet we've been relying on kind of a legacy and storytelling mechanism for the you know passing down what it means to be an athletic trainer and what it means to be a professional. And when we leave it to chance, we're devaluing professionalism or devaluing what it means to be a professional by letting it be held in oral history and watching behaviors. When we think about this 
and we think about how we can add value to what it means to be a professional, what it means to be an athletic trainer, we have to have this conversation about intentionality because intentionality demonstrates value. If we are intentional about developing ourselves as an athletic trainer and if we're intentional about developing ourselves as a professional, we add value to that. And we can see this in athletic training in other areas. You know, in the mid-2010s, BOC wanted to add an emphasis on evidence-based practice and transitioning evidence to practice. So the BOC developed the evidence-based practice categories for continuing education units. Whether or not we wanted to value evidence-based practice, it became intentional because we had to seek out, for that period of time, we had to seek out continuing education units that were categorized and evaluated on a different scale from other categories of BOC CEUs. And that was an intentional behavior. And we, as athletic trainers, had to respond intentionally when we sought out continuing education units, at least for a chunk, 20% of our CEUs over a two-year period. And that raised the value of evidence-based practice. As much as we're talking about evidence-based practice now, I guess 15 years ago now, when I started school to get my bachelor's degree in athletic training, we weren't intentionally talking about evidence-based practice, at least not in the explicit way that we talk about evidence-based practice now. For the vast majority of young professionals and early career athletic trainers who may be between the years of 8 and 12 in their career development, perhaps you've had similar experiences. And if you've been practicing as an athletic trainer for more than 12 years, you may have had a similar experience as well, where we talked about the importance of adding evidence to our practice, but it really wasn't intentional. And it was really spotty, depending on your preceptor or maybe the teacher that you had or the topic of conversation on whether or not we had evidence for that or not. Intentionality has worked in the profession before, the example being evidence-based practice. And if we can bring some intentionality to the concept of professionalism and what it means to be a professional, we can add value for ourselves on what it means to be a professional in athletic training. And if we're able to increase our value for ourselves, now we're able to have conversations about worth and we're able to have conversations about this is how much I should be getting paid or these are the boundaries that I must respect or you must respect when I set them. The, the natural transition, I think, in this conversation is how. How can we become a conscious provider through professionalism? How can we become a better athletic trainer through using consciousness and a three-dimensional approach to our behavior? And I think this leads me to the framework for professional growth and development. In this, the overarching framework is that first, we have to move the unconscious behaviors and our unconscious thoughts and feelings to the conscious mind. Then, once we have it in our conscious mind, then we can modify it, we can change it, we can improve, we can eliminate things that aren't serving us anymore. And then once we've done that, we keep it in our conscious mind as we practice it, 
and it becomes habit, it becomes routine, it becomes ritual. And then we start the process of moving it from our conscious mind back into the unconscious. And now it's installed, if you will, in who we are as a professional. And it can't be one of these things that it happens for a generation and then we just go back to relying on our storytelling and our oral history of what it means to be an athletic trainer because it would work in the short term, but it wouldn't work long range because 50 years from now, if athletic training is still around, we're relying on this shift presently to inform our future, then we find ourselves in the same place we are today. We've partnered with OnlineTherapy.com, that's Online-Therapy.com, a complete counseling toolbox where you get the support and tools you need to be happier, and it's all based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Head over to Opportune.at slash OnlineTherapy, that's Opportune.at slash OnlineTherapy, to get started for free and enjoy 20% off of your first month of therapy. CBD has become increasingly popular for the treatment of pain, anxiety, focus, sleep, and more. We've partnered with Sweat CBD, who delivers 100% natural, full-spectrum CBD oil, gummies, and lotions. Head to sweatcbd.com and use code ADVANTAGE A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E for 10% off at checkout. There are really three steps to the framework for professional growth and development. We can break down each of the steps, and we'll do that right now. So step one is moving the unconscious mind to the conscious mind. And how we do that is by increasing our self-awareness. And increasing, so increasing our consciousness, right? At least one part of our consciousness where we become aware of our internal and external environments. And self-awareness specifically is understanding our actions, our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs about ourselves and about where we fit in in the world. And that can be as a professional, as a human, probably as both. We do that through activities like journaling like reflection, whether that be vlogging, you know, video blogging, putting something on YouTube for yourself. Maybe that's through writing. Maybe that's through engaging in conversations about your performance on feedback, but more than just your performance, rather the motives behind what you did and how you performed a certain behavior as it relates to being an athletic trainer. The key part of this is the self. You have to work to become self-aware. You don't need to raise awareness for other people. You have to raise the awareness for yourself. Again, maybe in other episodes or in future iterations, we can have conversations about journaling and reflective journaling and ways we can ask for feedback that are useful and ways we can find our own zone of genius and really activities to increase our own self-awareness about a specific situation or about a specific component or dimension of our life. So step two is after we've started to reflect and we've started to get our thoughts on paper and our feelings on paper, our brains naturally and our minds naturally want to analyze. 
And that's really what step two is about. It's about changing our conduct, aims, and quality of our behavior. But before we can do that, we have to be able to evaluate. We have to be able to evaluate our conduct. We have to evaluate why we are doing this, and we have to evaluate how well we're doing whatever the behavior is, Uh, you know, whether that is performing an evaluation, whether that's walking in with professional dress, whether that's setting professional boundaries, whether that's advocating for yourself, whatever, whatever the piece of being a professional you want to improve, we have to be able to evaluate that. The first thing is, do you want to change this? And if you don't want to change this, then don't spend your time on it. And if you find yourself, after you work on your self-awareness and you're in this self-evaluation phase and you constantly say, well, I'm okay with this, I'm okay with this, or there's a pattern of behaviors that you're like, well, I'm okay with this, maybe an activity that you could do is ask yourself, how could this be better? So maybe it is sufficient, maybe it is competent, maybe it is proficient right now. But how could this be better? And maybe that opens up the curiosity and the wonder and the dedication to learning or the opportunity for learning so you can find areas in your process to improve. In this step two, this is where you have your behaviors, you have your aims, and you have how you perform your behaviors on the top of your mind. And this is really where you're modifying or you are manipulating your behaviors and also the rationale behind your behavior. So you're trying things and then you're evaluating them. You're trying them and you're reflecting on them. Let's just use one of the examples from earlier, wearing professional dress. So the behavior is wearing professional dress. The why, the aim, let's just say, is to increase patient confidence in our skills and abilities. I think that's one reason why we have professional dress. And how we do that is by being well-groomed, clean, and generally welcoming in our appearance. We can get into the specifics of, of what that means for you. Now, if we're doing this, this activity, and we'll talk about a way we can do this in practice a little later, so we've become self-aware, we've identified the three dimensions, the behavior, the the why or the aims and the quality or how we do that. Now we can ask ourselves deeper questions. Well, why does professional dress improve someone's perceptions of us or improve their confidence in us? And we can break that down. Perhaps it is, it improves their confidence because, you know, their other experiences in healthcare people who they have trusted, and maybe if they've never trusted anyone themselves, but who their parents or guardians have trusted, showed up in a room and they looked a certain way. And so very early on in their life, maybe when they went to the pediatrician, you know, someone who cares for you looks a certain way in terms of how they dress, how they handle themselves in an exam room. Those child experiences are influencing what our patients today think a trustworthy healthcare provider is. So that's maybe the second level of why, besides it helps improve people's confidence of our skills and abilities. That's why professional dress does that. And then you can look for ways to modify that, right? So how can I alter this? If I know or if I believe 
that the reason professional dress increases one's confidence in your skills and abilities is because of their early experiences with healthcare providers and how they handled themselves and how they showed up in an exam room. What are ways that we could modify our dress to enhance one's confidence in our skills and abilities? Maybe it was professional dress, or maybe it was the tone of the voice. Maybe it was because they sat down. There's 10,000 different things that we could modify about our behavior as it relates to quote-unquote professional dress that could increase how confident patients are in our skills and abilities as a healthcare provider. So that's all happening in step two. Step two is where most of the work happens. Step one is critical because if we're not self-aware and if we're not regularly reflecting, if we're not regularly journaling, if we're not regularly receiving feedback or engaging in some sort of feedback activity, we're not able to get to step number two. But in step number two, this is where the action happens and where we're modifying it and uploading new software, if you will. And in step three, which is the final step of the professional growth and development framework, in this step, we move the conscious activity and conscious conduct into our unconscious mind. So we move it from conscious behaviors, like here's what I'm doing, here's why I'm going to do it, and here's how I'm going to modify it. Once we have found a pattern that works for us, now the work begins in downloading that into who we are as a professional and moving that behavior, the aims of that behavior and the quality of that behavior into automatic thoughts, automatic feelings, automatic behaviors. And this is done through action and through self-empowerment. Essentially, it's reinforcement of the behaviors over and over and over and over and over again and constant feedback from the patients on if they're responding. And hopefully they are responding in a positive way, which will only you know, continue the feedback cycle to encourage you to continue to behave in this new way. And you also know why and how you have modified your own behavior to increase the confidence that the patients have in your abilities as a healthcare provider. The caveat to this is that this framework for professional growth and development is a lifelong process because at every significant evolution of our mindset, the process starts over again because we as the learner or we as the athletic trainer, or we as the professional, is at a new level of professional consciousness. And you know, professional consciousness is something that is, there's no finite end to that. You can't reach you know, the highest level of professional consciousness and say, I've, I've made it. Because at each new level and each new stage, it's like a game with infinite levels. As you reach the next stage, or the next you know, marker or the next wayfinder in your development, your mind reveals something else in your journey that you're ready for at that point. Once you've acquired the skill and you've acquired this mindset and you've acquired this way of being, that really excites me. And I hope that excites you because it really emphasizes this idea that we are lifelong learners. And we're lifelong learners not only in the skills of being an athletic trainer or the skills in being a professional, but we're also a lifelong learner in the way we approach situations. And we're also a lifelong learner in our mindset of being a professional and our mindset as a human. And 
every single time we think we've arrived, we may sit in a spot for a while, but life will inevitably show us something else we can learn and a new way we can learn. And essentially, we repeat this process, moving the unconscious to the conscious, modifying our conscious and unconscious behavior, and then moving the conscious behavior, thoughts and feelings to the unconscious so they become habit, so they become routine, and so they become ritualistic in who we are as a healthcare professional. Now that we have an understanding of why this is important, and one way, one perspective of how to view this in terms of the framework for professional growth and development, you know, I think we can zoom out again and talk about why this matters in the context of healthcare, not just athletic training, but in the context of healthcare. You know, professionalism is a core competency of healthcare, right? From the National Academies of Medicine, it used to be called the Institute of Medicine, the IOM, and now the NAM, the National Academies of Medicine. It's a core competency of what it means to be a healthcare provider. And it's a standard of practice that moves with us throughout our career. But we haven't, up until this point, engaged in regular, serious conversations around professionalism and how it influences our practice and our role as a professional. And if we look outside of athletic training, there's a concept that is known as professional identity development. And it's been examined in some pretty good detail in other health professions like nursing, and pharmacy. And the idea of professional identity development is what I'll call a form of meta-learning. So it's this idea of understanding professionalism on all three dimensions is a process. And meta-learning is essentially learning about learning. And the activity that we just engaged in two minutes ago about you know, here's the process, the framework for professional growth and development, moving the unconscious to the conscious and then moving the conscious to the unconscious. That whole conversation was a form of meta-learning because we're learning about how we learn. And when an athletic trainer becomes conscious of the development of professional behaviors, like when we become aware of how we develop professional behaviors, then we have the ability to influence the trajectory of our own growth and development on multiple dimensions and in multiple parts of our practice and in multiple identities that we have as a human, you know, as a, as a mother, as a father, as a partner, as an athletic trainer, as an artist, as a friend, as a brother, as a sister. When we understand this and we understand the framework, we can influence our own trajectory. It's not left to chance anymore. It's not left to who you know. It's not left to who you learned from. Rather, you become the driver of your future. Yes, there are hundreds, if not thousands of other influences that you'll have to navigate, but at least now you're sitting in the driver's seat. At least now you have the ability to see become aware of and respond to challenges in whatever way you find appropriate for what you see as the trajectory in your career. And we can do that not only in our behaviors, but also in our aims and also in our qualities. So this leads us to our activity for this episode, and I call it three-dimensional professionalism or the 3D professional. 
And for this activity, all you're going to need is some paper and something to write with. Depending on how much you write, you may need a couple sheets of paper, but you get the idea. So the first part of this activity, what I'd like you to do is write down a list of five to 10 behaviors that you believe mark an athletic trainer who is demonstrating professionalism or an athletic trainer who is a professional. Maybe you can use those examples that we used earlier today, or perhaps you're going to use some other examples. Maybe it's document every day, utilizes appropriate PPE, engages in regular hand washing before and after every single patient encounter. Whatever those behaviors are, write those down. And this is the conduct. This is the first dimension of professionalism. Next, what I want you to do is to take each of those five to 10 behaviors and right next to each of those behaviors, write a brief statement about why these behaviors are important for an athletic trainer. And I want you to challenge yourself to dig deeper than the first why and really answer the question why two or three times. We did this in the activity and in the example that we had earlier when I was talking about professional dress, where the first why was professional dress increases patients' confidence in our skills and abilities as healthcare providers. That's the first why. The second why was, well, why does professional dress increase the confidence in our skills and abilities as healthcare providers? The response to that was going back and looking at their previous experiences and early experiences with healthcare providers, perhaps as a child, when they hadn't had previous experiences with a healthcare provider before and what they looked like, how they conducted themselves in the exam room, maybe a pediatrician, et cetera. And that really was the second level, was that it had to go back to early interactions with a healthcare provider. And so I want to challenge you in this part of the activity to dig beyond the first level and the first why and try to get two or three levels of why and try to answer that question why two or three times. And this part of the activity really addresses the second dimension of professionalism and what it means to be a professional, and that's the aims. And the last step in the process is to address the quality of the behavior. And on another sheet of paper, what I'd like you to do is write out two ways you could improve or modify those professional behaviors that you identified in step one. And this may be a little challenging because you might have to go back and uh, look at your aims, look at your why statements to better understand why certain behaviors are important to the profession and why certain behaviors are important as a professional before you can determine how to modify or improve these professional behaviors. If we continue along with the professional dress conversation, you know, a topic and a piece of conversation which has been discussed for as long as I've been in the profession, so since 2005, is this idea that perhaps athletic trainers, when they work in the clinic or in their athletic training facility, uh, or even out on the field or wherever their, their practice setting is, is to wear scrubs. And that could be one way we could modify our professional dress. And I think it ties back pretty well to the why professional dress adds confidence in a healthcare provider's skills and abilities. And I've never asked anyone who has suggested that we move towards uh, wearing scrubs in the clinic or we wear scrubs as our quote-unquote uniform as an athletic trainer. But if we use this framework, I would venture 
it would be because we believe that patients had interactions with quality healthcare providers early on in their life who wore scrubs. So it presents confidence. It's a forward-facing mark of good healthcare in terms of why we may want to shift from the quote-unquote uniform of athletic training of khakis and a polo to a new uniform of scrubs, at least during part of our time in the clinic. I think that's a really interesting concept. I don't know where I land on that. I haven't spent too much time thinking about it. But you can see through this activity, we can find solutions at least to try. Who knows if they'll work or not, but we don't ever know if they work unless we try. We can find ways we can modify our practice. It could be in the in the one dimension of our behavior in terms of professional dress, but it could be on a different dimension like documentation or how we evaluate patients or how we engage in risk reduction activities or how we advocate for ourselves for our positions or how we demonstrate value. Any number of things on what it means to be a professional and what it means to be a professional in the profession of athletic training. And the goal of this activity was simply to start thinking and working in three dimensions as opposed to one dimension by evaluating our own professional life in the three dimensions. And we create opportunities for growth and development to become better aware of our actions and to create opportunities to modify our behavior by understanding our own mindset and motives. Again, this was just practice. You can repeat this activity in so many different ways, and you can use this activity to help you become more self-aware of your professional life, and you can take some of these concepts and move them into your personal life and become a three-dimensional human, not just a three-dimensional professional. And when we move from one-dimensional thinking to three-dimensional thinking, We are essentially shifting our mindset and our skill set. We're moving forward on our journey to develop as a conscious athletic trainer. By developing a three-dimensional thinking and developing a three-dimensional mind shift, it's a skill and it's their ability that we have to kind of carry with us in order to move forward on our own journey as a conscious athletic trainer. Today, we focused on professionalism, but the same pattern of thinking and the type of thinking exists and can be used to examine all parts of our practice. It can be used to examine our relationship with the profession, our relationship with our career, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship to others. And if we can commit to examining our career with more three-dimensional thinking, We can create opportunities for growth, for development, and for sustainability in both our personal lives and our professional lives. Advantage is the premier provider of non-traditional work, advocacy, and resources while pushing the boundaries of athletic training. Follow them on social media at The Advantage and join their email list for an even deeper dive into all things non-traditional and access to even more boundary-pushing content. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Reframe the Game. If you found value or were inspired by this episode, please share it with a colleague or a friend. 
so we can collectively have conversations in order to grow and develop both as humans and professionals.